Hey peeps, welcome to This Good Word. This is Steve, and we are in the middle of that crazy week between Christmas and New Year's, where we're trying to work as little as possible, where we are enjoying each other's presents, the people that we love. Uh, we're playing with those Christmas things that we got. I got a record player, so I'm very excited about that. And um, we're in the season of Christmas Tide, which is 12 days between Christmas Day and Epiphany, which starts on January 6th. So it's a time to celebrate, to enjoy, to laugh, to play games, to stay up late and enjoy community, to enjoy the light of friendship. And so for this podcast, I'm going to actually resurrect uh, one that I did about a year ago at this time. Uh, I haven't had Rabbi Allen on the podcast in quite some time, and it is definitely time to bring him back. Um, but until we can get him live, I thought I would bring out an episode. this episode I did a year ago. It's The title of it was Light, and I thought it was especially good for this time of year, where uh, during Advent we've been waiting for the light of the world to come. And now we're in a season, Christmas tide, where we're celebrating the light of the world. So enjoy this special redo episode with Rabbi Alan Ullman. And if you're new to the podcast, I've had him on probably more than any other guest. Well, definitely more than any other guest. He's a dear friend, Rabbi from Boston, and he's had a huge impact on my life. And so I think you're going to see why in this podcast. So enjoy, my friends, and Merry Christmas Tide. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to This Good Word. Uh, we are, oh gosh, I'm, I'm here with Rabbi Alan Ullman and Hello, Alan. Hello, hello. <laughs> and, and a joyous and beautiful Christmas. Yes. To you and the whole family and, and all our listeners. And all the This Good Word podcast listeners, which we we were just before we press record, we were just laughing because <laughs> I said I was going to put this out today, this bonus episode, December 23rd, because so many people were on my back um, saying like, hey, where's the Rabbi Allen podcast when you guys, when you were in town, you and Noah? And and we just, you know, we tried, we tried really hard, but we just couldn't, we couldn't get it together. We couldn't get our schedules to line up. <laughs> so it's people like Betsy Hines were just, you know, begging me, hey, when's the Rabbi Allen podcast? And so here it is, Betsy Hines. Enjoy. Hello, Betsy. <laughs> Hi, Betsy. Uh, so he, I am looking outside my window and it's a, it's a gray day in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Maple Grove, Minnesota to be exact. And we're going to talk about, uh, the Hebrew word, which is going to go to the Greek word, but the word is light. And we're going to look at the arc of light all throughout the scriptures we're going to see uh, the importance of how it unfolds as time goes on. We're going to see the nuances. We're going to see the beautiful um, uncovering of it as it becomes more and more bright. And of course, we have our guru, Rabbi Alan Ullman, to You can call help us. me out, call me out. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Uh, all right. So light shows up first in Genesis 1, chapter 3. It's the Hebrew word or. And why don't you tell us about that, 
Alan, tell us about uh, how it shows up, when it shows up, and then where it goes. So uh, in Genesis chapter 1 uh, is the first usage of the word light. And, and it kind of brings us, in a way, to um, a good thing to hold in our toolkit as we study Scripture, which is that if something shows up early in the text, that tells us that it's wildly important. And the earlier it is, the more important it is, and the more we want to track its trajectory as it moves through the text. So or in Hebrew, light in English, shows up in uh, day one. And aside from the Ruach Elohim, it's one of the very first things that happens. Have we done something on Ruach yet? We have hinted at it here and there, but we haven't done an episode on Ruach. Oh. So I think Ooh. I think we need to. Maybe that's our February episode when yeah. we are here in town. Ruach would be so fun. Okay, but to get to Or. But, but, but hold on, because I think that's so delicious. We can't just skate by that. Ruach means breath or spirit. Elohim. Or, or, or what? Wind. Or wind, yes. And... Oh. Elohim is God, so spirit God, wind God, breath God is hovering over the waters, and then God speaks, let there be light. Right. And um, a favorite thought of mine, well, uh, no, I'll check myself before I wreck myself. So <laughs> let's, just do, let's just do light. So, <laughs> so um, I'm just waiting for a Kanye reference, or is that just your son's <laughs> no, your son Noah's realm? I mean, we're going to see. Noah's realm. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> I failed that class in seminary. Um, so um, God speaks and this and says, really be light. I know a lot of the translations say, let there be light. That's not necessarily in any sense wrong, but it's, it's a bit more declarative. Be light. And in that, um, in that, we come to an incredibly also important dimension. In the Genesis chapter one, God creates by speaking. And that's another whole huge conversation, uh, which would be great fun to do too. Uh, well, let's but, just let's just keep scheduling them out. Yeah, Ruach so, speaking. Here we yeah. go. Um, especially when when you um, start to move through the text and see how many miracles happen, especially in New Testament, because Jesus speaks. Yeah, yeah. And understanding that that is speaking creation and what some of the implications of that are. And what it is that actually in Numbers chapter 20 that Moses did in striking the rock when he was asked to speak to the rock. And suddenly all sorts of things start to fall into place in very sort of clear um, and profoundly deep ways. Yeah. All right. Or light. Now, and as we think about this light in day one, one of the challenges here is that we know that the sun, stars, and moon aren't created till day four. So, therefore, the question becomes, what is the light of day one? Well, one of the things we can say with relative 
ease is it isn't sun, star, light. Now, we haven't said what it is yet, but we're in the process of getting to a very fundamental dimension of the text, which is just because something isn't necessarily physical doesn't mean it isn't there. Yeah. Yes. So um, just because we aren't talking necessarily about physical light, but if you actually think about day one, what were you talking about first? Ruach, which is breath, wind, spirit. And then you're talking about light, but we don't necessarily really mean physical light. Now, one of the challenges is, especially in the early days of creation, to not try to come to a conclusion too early, but rather let the text show you where it's going to lead us. So we're looking at this light. Okay, so pause, yeah. pause. We, we can say that it's not the light of the sun because we know that the sun and moon were created on day four. So that's right. a that's something we left out, but that's that's why we can say, well, it's not that. And I think it's a good interpretive principle if you're looking for interpretive principles to say, what can I rule out before what is it? And this is exactly what you're doing. And so what, how we're going to find, and I'm I'm just translating because I think it's so good. How we're going to find out what it is is by looking at the arc. And so you can't you can't know in full what it is until you see it play out throughout the rest of the scriptures. Right. Okay. And that willing, beautifully said, couldn't agree more. And that willingness to be patient with process as a way of studying God's living word is radically counterintuitive in an on-demand age. Oh, yeah. Preach. Yeah. So that is one of our challenges is that as we grow more and more accustomed to everything being on-demand, but we all on some deep level know emotional maturation isn't on demand. <laughs> right. Sacred wisdom isn't on demand. <sighs> but then how do we grow into it? And there's a way of studying God's living word where the very act of doing that helps us to grow into the consciousness that you can't live in many of the most important dimensions of our lives in an on-demand consciousness. Gosh. Yes. Yes. So here we are. We're looking at a really important word. We know it's important. Um, and and there will be such sort of intriguing phrases like Psalm 97, verse 11. Light is sown as a seed might be sown for the righteous. But what, well, what, what do you mean to say light is sown? And it's the word for light that's used in day one. And so we'll be thinking about that as the morning unfolds, but that's just a real quick example um, of something that might not make a whole lot of sense. What do you mean sunlight is sown? Right. Well, right. we don't mean that actually. Um, okay, so the light in day one, fascinatingly enough, is, and this isn't a question that gets talked about a lot, although it's pretty clear from the verse, reading verse three and four, that the light actually is in the darkness. Yes. Now, this is going to make a whole bunch of passages later in scripture make a ton more sense. Um, 
where light is going to be talked about in relationship to darkness. And we'll be looking at a number of those as the as as we talk this morning. But so light is in the darkness. Now we we know it's in the darkness because we read verse four, and then something really intriguing happens. God saw the light was good. Okay, so God is seeing the light. That's the beginning of verse four. And fascinatingly enough, God is seeing the light, and this very first seeing of light is seeing it in the darkness. And God then, after seeing it in the darkness and calling it good, separates the light from the darkness. Okay, so now we... If the light it needs to be separated from the darkness, that tells us the light was in the darkness. Now, what all that means yet, we haven't even begun to unpack. But we do have something wildly important. Whatever light is, God can see it in the darkness. Yes. Now. And it exists in the darkness. And it exists in the darkness. And... That reminds yeah, me of Psalm 139, even though I, I can't remember the exact quote, but um, even though all is dark to me, even darkness is not dark to you, right? Well, Isaiah 45, verse 3, there are treasures hidden in the darkness. Yes. And the word for darkness is the exact word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, day 1. So now we're talking about a big conversation and God sees the light. Here comes the very first words of God to Abram and Sarai in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Go forth from your native land, your kindred, and your father's house to a land which I, God, will cause you to see. And then in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, God says, after Lot had parted from them, lift up your eyes from where you are, look to the north, south, east, west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Oh, there's a kind of seeing that we're seeing in day one, which Sarai and Abram are on a journey to learn. And when they learn it and can see that way, the land will be theirs forever. Yes. So no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. And therefore, what we are beginning to enter into is what I would call, um, for lack of a better phrasing, a kind of seeing that is sacred seeing, eternal seeing, forever seeing. And it all starts with the very first seeing. Here comes the first seeing. And it's the seeing of God. And wait, but God's very first statement to them is go forth from your native land, your kindred and your father's house to the land I will cause you to see. Oh, and then Genesis 13, lift up your eyes, look to the north, south, east, west, all the land that you see. But I want to suggest it's not see in a biological sense, but rather see in the sense of perceive with your whole being. Um the being of what it means to be created in God's image and God's likeness. Ah, yes. And the, and the first thing that's seen is the light in the darkness. Okay. So that's, that's a starting point. Should we pause things to. I just want to, well, just, just, just a recap. 
there is a kind of seeing in the dark where you can see something that is there even if it isn't physically there. I think that's what we're talking about. And that is, I think for me, it's so fascinating that that's how the scriptures start. And to me, um, growing up uh, so staunchly evangelical Christian, I think one of the one of the good, well, one of the differences I see between Judaism and Christianity is Judaism holds within it this both and this, you know, like light in darkness and Judaism seems to make total sense, perfect sense. But in Christianity, we're sort of afraid of that. Like we, we want it all to be light, <laughs> you know, like light that I can see with my physical eyes at all time. And I'm not trying to be pejorative about my, my upbringing or my background, but I, but I am saying that a good reading of the scripture starts with this reality that exists in the darkness that is seen with some sort of spiritual sacred seeing and comes into being because of Ruach Elohim. And where we can go with that is it's not just an event which happened in time for that time. It's a way of existing. It's an invitation into a way of existing whereby we can begin to believe that there is something there in the dark and we need spiritual sacred eyes to see it. Well, exactly. A hundred percent. And that takes us right back to, oh, there are treasures hidden in darkness. Yes. Oh, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two and three, man does not live by bread alone. Yes. Oh, you mean bread and water isn't enough? Well, there's something else. And that is the word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Yes. Oh, so it's, it's not that we don't need the physical. It's not that we don't need the tangible. Clearly, yeah. we must have them. But on the other hand, if that's all we've got, it's in the category of necessary but not sufficient. Right, right. Exactly. And, and I, I'm, I don't mean this symbolically or metaphorically. And I think that's one of the traps that we tend to fall prey to nowadays. Well, you're talking about symbolic light or metaphorical light. Right. And... Well, that would be like saying love is a symbol. <laughs> no, I mean, if you, heaven forfend, heaven forfend, if a human being experienced no love, what would their life be like? Right. Yeah. If, an experience, if a human being experienced no friendship, right, what would their life be like? Well, but you can't, it's not, oh, you can't just go to the supermarket and purchase friendship or love. Um, and in fact, when you try to do that, that usually gets some very bad words associated with it in right. terms of our vocabulary and right. how we think. Well, but these are non-tangible realities that we all need. And oftentimes we will say things like, I'm not experiencing love in this friendship or in this relationship. And, and we're talking about something incredibly real, but because we so rarely talk about it, we have trouble languaging it. Yeah. But that doesn't make it less real or less there. Right. So we're thinking about light. We're still working on what it might mean. And um, I'm about to go to the next passage. Is that beautiful? Let's go. Okay. So we're now in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. 
And fascinatingly enough, in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, this is the next time the word light and darkness as a paired coupling comes together again. Okay, and let's can I just give context just for 30 seconds? So in Genesis yes, 1, of course, that's the very beginning. It's Adam and Eve. They have sons. One murders another. Then we have Abram. Abram leaves his land to a place that he, and then he has finally, Abram and Sarah have Isaac. They have Jacob. Jacob has Joseph. Joseph goes and he's in slavery in Egypt. And then there's a famine and then all of Israel comes to him. He saves the world. So they settle in Egypt because the Pharaoh is good. Minor thing. They settle in Egypt. 400 years later, Exodus opens and they are now all of Israel is slaves in Egypt. The Pharaoh that's in current power doesn't remember Joseph, which basically means doesn't remember the friendship that they had and he has enslaved Egypt. So when we get to Exodus 10, we're actually Moses has been called back to Egypt. Moses is talking to Pharaoh. Moses is bringing the plagues. And now we're in the ninth plague. Right. And just a, a real quick puzzle piece. I don't know if we've discussed this before. So if we have, forgive me. The word that translated as slave is the word evid. Evid is one of those words which is, again, um, so good to have in your toolkit. Evid, ayin bet dalid, um, or ayin bet dalid, it literally can mean all of the following things. It can mean work, worship, serve, servant, slave. So it, when we're in the plagues, uh, on, a, on a number of occasions, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people, go, says, God says, let my people go from serving you, Pharaoh, to go out into the wilderness to worship God. But if you had the Hebrew in front of you, what you would see is what Moses is saying is, let my people go from worshiping you, Pharaoh, to go out into the wilderness to worship God. Or you could have translated, let my people go from working for you, Pharaoh, to go out into the wilderness to work for God. So when it says, let my people go from serving you to go out into the wilderness to worship me, if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually the same exact word. same word. Wow. So the, the question is a question that's going to show up so exquisitely in New Testament in the following formulation. No man can serve two masters. Do I know when I'm serving Pharaoh as compared to when I'm serving God. Mm. And so let my people go from work, worship, serving, servant, slaving for you to go out into the wilderness to work, worship, serve, servant, slave for God. Um, and, and suddenly you can see where that New Testament passage is, is got its starting point. Well, you could argue it's got its starting point in the Tower of Babel, but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> for another time. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I feel like there's so many delicious rabbit holes we could jump down in any of these uh, passages. I know. Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 23, and what we're looking at is light and darkness coming together again. And there's darkness over the whole land of Egypt, and light in the Israelites' homes. So if we kind of can picture this for a moment, there's darkness over the whole land of Egypt. Oh, there's darkness over the whole creation. Oh, there's light again. But the light is literally 
whatever this light is, is in the darkness. And I want to suggest it's probably not firelight or oil lamp light, because that then could have been in the Egyptians' homes. So in the ninth plague, I want to suggest we're back in day one. But right. now we have some new data. Now, well, Meaning, hold on. If you think, yeah, yeah. Because we, we didn't actually read the verse, what, what, and you didn't say it. What was happening was darkness on all the land, but there was light somehow. There was light or in the households of the Israelites. Somehow, right. some way, the light was in the darkness, in the homes. And it's the, it's the first time that the word or is used again since Genesis 1. I love the way you roll your R's, incidentally. Very or. nice. Or. <laughs> yes, it's, exactly right. it's exactly right. <laughs> okay, so keep going. Sorry, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, yes. I'm, no, I'm no, bringing no, color commentary. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure no, people no, no, are catching up. You were 100% spot on. We needed that piece. So, right. And then we're in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 10. And what it says is, Lo ra'u now, it, that tends to get translated as, in, for example, in my translation, people could not see one another. Not quite good enough. Lo ra'u a man could not see his own brother. So, and, and, so a man could not see his own brother. And that's the beginning of unpacking what is darkness. Yes. Now, as we think about this carefully we realize we've actually been seeing this pulsating through the whole book of Genesis. Literally, Jacob is standing before Isaac, his father, in a tent, and his father doesn't see him. Literally, the brothers are standing before Joseph, and but he's now second in command of all of Egypt, and 10 of them, somehow, not one of them, recognizes him and the text actually says they don't recognize him but it says he sees them and there are several passages where the text really pushes the envelope on this in ways that we tend to not notice but are all of one thread on two separate occasions a man will have sexual intercourse with a woman who he knows and yet somehow doesn't see her. Mm. Now that's about a lot of things, but one of them that's very clearly going on is we can be wildly intimate with each other, wildly intimate, and yet not see each other at all. Yes. And I wanna suggest this is speaking loads into what it means to be in Egypt. Quick reminder. Egypt in Biblical Hebrew is the word Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim has the root Tsar. Tsar means a narrow place. A narrow place is a place where there is provision, and yet to get the provision, we are made to worship false gods. One of the consequences of living in the narrow place is we, we no longer have the capacity to know light sacred light from darkness mm. which is why we have to leave wow reminds me of that passage when lot looks at the at the fields and of of egypt right or where right. 
Well, no, he's actually in Canaan. Right, he's in Canaan. You're thinking in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, I suspect. Yes, yes. And he lifts up his eyes, and he, and he likens what he sees in Canaan as being well watered, and he likens it, and this is the, the right. last part of verse 10, to the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. Right. And that brings us to one of those core, core confusions. But before we get to the confusion, we were talking a little bit before in when we were thinking about day one of the request of Abba to Abram to go forth from your native land, your kindred, and your father's house to the land which I, God, will cause you to see. We didn't ask the question, why is God asking Sarai and Abram to leave their native land, their kindred, and their father's house right. to a land which he will cause them to see? And that, what you just raised, answers the question. Because in Genesis 13, verse 10, we learn how Lot sees. And the way Lot sees is he's likening the garden of the Lord to the land of Egypt. Well, that's this type of seeing that needs to be left. Right, right. And the moment, and in that Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, it says, and God spoke to Abram after Lot had parted from him meaning that Abram had started to make the separation from Lot and the way that the whole family sees. And then God says, of all the possible things, now we're going to talk about learning to see in a different way. Lift yeah. up your eyes from where you are. Look to the north, south, east, west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. So one of the arcing trajectory themes of the book of Genesis is that people are in intimate relationships, brothers, husbands and wives, and yet they do not see each other. And what does it mean to live together and not see each other? Well, that is to be in the darkness. Now, did you want to say something? Or... Nope, that's beautiful. Keep going. So now in the ninth plague, we are getting at huge, huge puzzle piece, which is there's light in the Israelites' homes. What does that mean? Well, if we're right that this is that this has got some connection to day one, there's got to be something that happens in day one happening soon. And in day one, the light is first in the darkness, but then it is separated from the darkness. Drawn out. Right. And sure enough, we're in the ninth plague. The light is in the darkness, but it's about to be drawn out of the darkness, meaning the Israelites are going to be drawn out of the narrow place. So what I'm suggesting is we now have one of the great themes that runs through all of the text. Starting from day one, darkness can contain light. And when we see the light in the darkness, uh, for a moment, I'll just say the light of God's presence, but won't define that quite yet. When we see the light or we experience ourselves as being in the light, even though we're still in the darkness, we can know and we can trust 
that the light will be drawn forth out of the darkness. One could think of the, the, so much of the life walk of Jesus is he's walking from place to place. He sees light in the darkness. People will say things like, well, don't bother with that person. That person's a sinner or that person's this or that person's that. But Jesus sees the light in the darkness, and then he promptly proceeds to draw forth the light out of the darkness. In the precise place where people were going, well, that's just darkness. Don't bother with that. So, in other words, you've got one of the great ongoing activities pulsating through the text happening in real time in New Testament. And you see it and you go, oh, but that's just literally day one. Over and over again, over yeah, and over again, over and over again. Um, and, and the beautiful creativity of it, which is so amazing, is Jesus doesn't come to town and say, well, I'm going to do the exact same thing I did in the past five towns. He looks at each situation and responds to it specifically um, in its own context and its own reality. I love that. I love that. And and if you look at that in terms of some of the formulaic ways that we've seen Jesus, well, you got to pray to receive Christ in your heart, and that's the way you understand God. Um, sure. Okay, go for that. But but when, when people met Jesus, uh, some people wept at his feet and washed his feet with their hair. Some people were lowered down through the roof and the faith of their friends saved him. Some people were Roman centurions and they had faith that their son would be healed. Some people, you know, it's just on and on well, and on and on and on. You know, it's so amazing because when he comes to town, if you need wine, you get wine. Yeah. If you need fish, you get fish. Yeah. It, there's, it's not like, oh, there's only three things we could possibly do in response to this. And <laughs> if it doesn't fit into the three things, then uh, no, it's just... And this, to me, is exactly the nature of the omnipresent presence of what God is. God's going to respond to whatever it is in whatever context it is, and there is no limitation to the possibilities of response. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in, so Exodus in, in Exodus 10, right. the light, let's call them the children of Israel, get drawn out of the darkness, Egypt. We go through the narrow place and we exit and we go into the wilderness well, for. I can't go there yet. So okay, I... okay, okay. There's more. There's so, more. <laughs> two more puzzle pieces. Okay. One is the Israelites have been enslaved for over 400 years. Well, if you've been enslaved for over 400 years, one might have a tendency to think this is it. Yeah. So the light of these three days is a very specific light. It is the light of creation, but it's a very specific light of creation. It's a light that enables you to know that your past, your present, and how you've thought about your future can all be left behind. You could be free of every conceptualization that you've historically had, that you currently have, and everything that you have thought about your future. That's what I would call God's freedom. It's not one person, one vote. It's not freedom of speech or press. Not that I'm denigrating yeah, yeah, those yeah. in any way. It's, but it's a very different conversation. 
we tend to think that who we have been, who we are, and everything that we think we're going to be is definitional and determinative. But what does it mean to say that all of a moment, 400 years of history, can be brought to a close and it will simply be not there? God light is at its essence freeing. And if we don't get that, then we don't quite understand what it truly means to be in the light. Yes. And you were having this amazing, amazing podcast with Ferg, whom we both know and, and, and I dearly love as well. Um, and he was talking about restorative. And I couldn't agree with him more. And restorative in the sense of restoring us to who we were created to be. Yes. Restorative, he would say. Yes. Restorative. You <laughs> see, it's stunning. The restorative <laughs> light of God. <laughs> Hi, Ferg. We love you, buddy. We love restorative. you, Restorative. Stunning. Um, you, you do that so much better than I. I won't even try. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll sing to you, Ferg. We love you, Ferg. Oh, yes, yes, we, we do. Yeah. So, um, and what does it mean to know that that is possible? That truly we can live in that light. And how would I know that I'm in the light? Well, I want to suggest we know we're in the light when suddenly everything we're thinking that we are slaves in Egypt. We aren't anymore. Yeah. What? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, and okay. So that's one of the two puzzle pieces. Uh, the next puzzle piece is the number three. We've talked about that before. Um, yep. I believe in a previous podcast, but just a quick reminder, it says three days. And for those of might not have heard the previous podcast. If one takes a look at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 4, it's on the third day, Genesis 22, verse 4, that Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees Mount Moriah in the distance where he's going to offer up Isaac. He's not where he started. He's not there yet, but from where he is, he can see it in the distance. So they aren't where they started. They aren't where they're going. But for the very first time in the ninth plague, in the light, in the darkness, they can see it in the distance. And the thing that they can see is, of course, the freedom we've just been talking about. Um, and what does it mean to have that moment, fascinatingly enough, fascinatingly enough, familiarly? Because we're not talking about this so much individually, and we aren't also talking about it communally. We're talking about it as a familial experience, which is another one of those conversations which I don't feel like we have nearly enough of um, to kind of see what does it mean to say that already, even in Egypt, we're not talking about my individual spiritual journey in the light. We're actually talking about our familial journey yes. towards God in the light. Yes. Um, and that if we all truly do leave as a family, that's a, that is a family action, which incidentally, if we don't do, then what dies is a dimension of the future. Yes. 
So it's not I that die. It's, it's the firstborn. Oh, wait a second. We're talking about the next generation. We're talking about the sacred future dying because of decisions I would not make as a family in the present. Yes. So the consciousness of this not being individual, in other words, of course, I'm trying to climb out of a worldview which I don't see reflected in the text, that it's a communal or a familial action. Yes. Even uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it's, it's a family, and actually they had a whole bunch of people working for them, so it's not so simple as just them. Okay. Comments, thoughts. What have I left out? No, oh, that was beautiful. I, I think that that familial movement, the familial movement of Exodus 12, of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, being led through the waters, which is day two, frankly, and we don't have time to get into that, but there's a book that talks about that. Uh, <laughs> May I add? Very good book. Um, and then we go into the wilderness. Uh, where where we'd like to go, though, um, is going to take us all the way to John 1 and Revelation 21, but there's a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 60, that I think that, that you have called kind of the pivot point between what happens with light in the older covenant, which with what happens with light in the newer covenant. So let's go there. Yeah. So in Isaiah 60, verse 19, um, we've. We're, we're thinking about a, a whole bunch of things that are connected to what does it mean to be a sacred community and what does it mean to be Israel. And in verse 19, it says, No longer shall you need the sun for light by day, nor the shining of the moon for radiance by night. For the Lord shall be your light. Well, this translation says everlasting. Um, uh, it's a very interesting word there. Um, your God shall be your glory. Okay, so we're talking about something that we, we're going to see pulsating through New Testament. Wait, you're not going to really need the sun for light by day, nor the shining of the moon for radiance by night. The Lord shall be, or yud heh vav will be your light, olam. Now, oh, olam is that's the word for everlasting? That's the word the translating is oh. everlasting. Mama. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mama, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's technical. <bird. laughs> well, so, and can I, I want to interject yeah. why I had that reaction, because one of my favorite phrases, tikkun olam, uh, is the phrase, the phrase that the rabbis use, the, uh, the restoring of all things, right? The, the making new, the, the, um, the restorative work <laughs> of God and God's people, um, no, it's the hope. It, it's the hope of the eventual outworking of the making of all things new and the recreating, the restoring of all things. Right. Yes. So um, the word olam can, does literally mean forever. It does mean literally world. It does mean everlasting or eternal. But olam, I and lamed them in a slightly different form also means hidden. Ne'elam means hidden. So in the hidden eternal world, or the eternal world that's 
hidden in darkness um, oh, in darkness snap. but oh wait a second there's going to be a time when you shall no longer need the sun for light by day isaiah 6019 uh nor the shining of the moon for yud hey vav hey will be your light eternal and or your light in the world you could have literally yes, yes. translated it that way so in that case we have now graduated to the point where we are seeing the light now there there is a little um i want to push a pause button to get to isaiah 58 verse 10 um or actually isaiah 58 verses 8 through 10. now isaiah 58 is a, a it, there's so much going on there it would be fun to talk more about it but just in terms of keeping it, it within the context isaiah 58 then shall your light burst through like the dawn and your healing spring up quickly your righteousness shall go before you the presence of the lord will gather you up then when you call the lord will answer when you cry god will say hineni here i am well the revolution is afoot uh, we say hineni to god but in this passage god is saying hineni to us if you banish the yoke from your midst the menacing hand and evil speech but then you get to verse 10. And unfortunately you really need king james for verse 10 or one of those translations you will offer your soul to the hungry and satisfy the hungry soul okay so isaiah 58 verse 10 is now jumping on what does it mean to live in the light in community you will offer your soul to the hungry and satisfy the hungry soul it's the word nefesh in hebrew and nefesh um, also is translated as whole being um, so we are in nefesh to nefesh relationship soul to soul yes we are now in a, a kind of sacred intimacy where we know that this is as real a type of food and provision that we are intended to live in as bread and water and we wouldn't think about being in a nefesh to nefesh, soul to soul, whole being to whole being relationship and not think, oh, well, that's just symbolic or a metaphor. No, that's a way of being with each other in real life. Now, then when we are in that nefesh to nefesh relationship, then here comes the rest of verse 10. Then shall your light shine in the darkness. Oh. Or and Hoshech, the exact words that were used in Genesis chapter one, day one, are coupled together right next to each other. So, ah, you will have your light shine in darkness. And then the, the final the final part of verse 10. Um, and your gloom, your gloom will be like the noonday, meaning a bad day for you is still like high noon for everybody else. Yeah so that then that's isaiah 58 verses 8 through 10 leads us to isaiah 60 verse 19. in other words in order to experience there no need for sun or moon we have gone from a place where we aren't face to face where we can't see each other to a place where not only are we face to face not only can we see each other but we are nefesh to nefesh yes and when we're in those relationships, that's 
where I see the and to me, we are now unpacking. Isaiah is really shining an unbelievably beautiful light on what does it mean to say love your neighbor as yourself. And no, it it well to put it in the negative. No, it doesn't mean if I want a Mercedes, I have to buy my neighbor a Mercedes. What we're talking about rather is what does it mean to offer our neighbor what in my deepest, deepest wholeness of myself that I want, which is a relational soul to soul connection. Oh, but if you're really living like that, I want to suggest that's naked and unashamed in the garden. Yes. Yes. And how many of us would even put that out there as well, this is really what I want in my life, or this is what we want in our lives, because it's to be incredibly vulnerable and, and to really open ourselves up. And of course, that can be very scary, but love your neighbor as yourself, um, Leviticus 19 verse 18, is about drawing us into this incredible relational web. And now this shines a light on why Egypt actually can be attractive. Because I don't have to get naked and I don't have to get vulnerable and I can just be emotionally, psychologically, spiritually safe. Yeah, and I one of the things I think that's especially confusing, tempting about Egypt is when you've lived there for 400 years, your great-grandfather taught your grandfather, who taught your father, who taught you that all there is is the darkness. So you might as well just make the best of it. All right. there is is this. This is all there is. And right. and we can be happy in this, you know, time to time. We can we can experience some we can even laugh. I'm I'm sure there was some laughter in 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 the darkness, and the great sadness there. And I think what God is trying to say throughout all of the scriptures is there is so much more to see. There's so much more to know. There's so much more to experience, and it's not a million miles away. It's right. It's it's you know it's on the tip of your tongue. It's in your heart already. It's that's. Deuteronomy is something, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I hear and that's what I see as the great invitation, actually, of this time of the year as well. We have Hanukkah coming up in a couple of days. It starts. We, of course, have Christmas Eve and Christmas coming up. And it's dare we believe that there is something to be seen in the darkness that is just as real as the darkness, in fact, even more real, that ultimately uh, darkness is held by light, as Paula D'Arcy says. Um, and I think, and I, so that's where I think we can go to John 1, if, if, if yeah. we're ready uh, to go yeah, there. Yeah. In the beginning, so John is doing something quite uh, literarily amazing. So as John starts his gospel, he's evoking Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Logos is the word for word, but of course we just think about the, 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 the Ruach Elohim speaking, let there be light or be light. And then in, in John 1, 3, and, uh, and well, in John 1, 2, uh, 
uh, he was with God. You're, do you have it open in front of you? Yeah, the Word was with God. Yep. Yeah, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1, 3, I believe it says, um, and he was light, and that light was the light of all people. Yeah, uh, actually, I think um, verse maybe verse 4 is what you mean. All that came to be had life in him, and that life was the light of men. A light that shines in the darkness, a light that darkness could not overpower. <laughs> ah! yeah. Yeah. So you, you literally see the idea of day one right at the opening of John chapter one, verses one through five. In other words, and it, it, there's such an exquisite sort of fundamental logic to it. Yes. It, we're starting with in the beginning was the word well and in how does god create well god creates by speaking ah so that creational quality resides in speaking and we oftentimes describe scripture as the living word oh but then there there's all sorts of what i would call um, dimensions to saying those words. If we're studying the text and all we're seeing is what we've ever seen and we're not seeing anything new, well then, to me, that's not really living. Yes. Because in all our lives, we're all seeing new things all the time. And if we are presenting the idea that God is eternal and infinite and his word is alive, then how can it be saying the exact same thing? <laughs> Say that again, because I think that's so profound and simple, but we miss yes. it. We, In we other words, miss it. I can't tell you how many times I've taught a passage, you know, and this gets a little bit embarrassing. I can honestly tell you I've taught some passages 100 or 150 times, and yep. somebody will say something in a study session, and I'll go, it's right there, but I never saw it. And... And that happens, I can't even tell you how often that happens. That, but that happens in all our lives. Um, where, you know, um, so uh, we've had this very uh, beautiful and, and, and also stimulating and a shade challenging event. Um, the beautiful event is that um, our young adult um, offspring are back at home briefly. Yes. Uh, for about a year. And we have just been loving it, loving it. And um, it's just been great. And now they're both about to leave again. And, um, and it's appropriate. And my wife and I, Melanie, are a bit sad. Um, and yet it's very fitting that they are both going on their way. And, but one of the things that happened is sometimes I'll say something. And before I know what's happened, I'll see our son or our daughter look at my wife and say, Mom, we got this. We'll go talk to him. Mm. Um, and it's something I'm doing that I don't even know that I'm doing, that I have been doing, but I haven't seen. Yeah. You see what I mean? It's, yes. it's just real life for all of us. Yes. Um, and so we're always learning. There's always more. And to think that somehow that doesn't apply to God and God's word. It's startling that yes. we don't see that. And I think it's rooted in fear instead of love. I could say a lot more about that, but I think it's rooted in this idea that the, that God and God's scriptures are a house of cards 
And if someone just pulls out the wrong card, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. <laughs> and that's just so not the way to look at it. It's so much more expansive than that. It's, you know, sermon well, number one, God is not a deck of cards. Well, and, and to go with that, that actually goes counter to all of Scripture, because sometimes in the text, everything gets destroyed I'm thinking specifically specifically of Ezekiel. Yes. The kingdom of Israel was destroyed 130 years earlier. The kingdom of Judah has just been conquered and, as far as everybody can tell, destroyed by the Babylonians. Ezekiel is in exile. And then he basically, in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through uh, 6, makes an argument that through the chaos, this is the passage of the dry bones, and through the destruction, yes. it's not the end. It's actually day one. Yes. So even things which appear to our eyes to be chaos and destruction. No. In, in, in God's eyes, no, you're actually in day one. Can you see the light and the darkness? If you can, then we can put flesh on these dry bones. We can put sinew to sinew, and these dry bones will live. Yes. So here comes the challenge. Why do I treat Scripture the way I wouldn't treat my own life. Right. Do I really think that I, any I, any human I, is the alpha and the omega? Do I really think I've learned everything there is to learn and I can't learn one more thing possibly? Or if I do learn one more thing, it's somehow going to destroy all of me? <laughs> I mean, it's ludicrous know, when you say it out loud. Right. It's, it it's, it's ridiculous. Right. That doesn't compute. No. On any level. So, of course, there's more. There's always more. His hand is not too short. No. And John, I loved, I love, I, John's gospel is is so beautifully written. And because it has such a uh, deference and it connects the dots from the older covenant to the newer covenant so well, in a time that, frankly, the temple was destroyed, the tribes were dispersed, um, and then there was 400 years where apparently God was completely silent. And then we read these words, you know, in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And, and then that became the light of all human beings and darkness couldn't overcome it. And we're about to we're about at Christmas Eve, and it occurs to me that so the angels show up to a group of shepherds, you know, the the the, the truck drivers, the low the lowly shepherds, in whom everyone thought was only darkness, and um, and they saw something in the in the skies. They saw light. They saw angels. They heard singing. And what occurs to me is that they saw something real. You know, they saw something real. But what also occurs to me is that that if if everybody could have seen that, that would have been an event that would have been recorded in the annals of history with Josephus and stuff like that. But for some reason, the shepherds had eyes to see and ears to hear something, some kind of very physical, very real light. Was it physical? Was it visible to everybody? I, I don't know, but they could see it and they could hear it. And it announced a new beginning, uh, a light that was shining in the darkness that darkness couldn't overcome. Uh, to me, that is so delicious. So uh, now I, do, I don't know Greek, so I want to be careful here. But in verse 9, it says in John 1, the word was the true light that enlightens all men. Now the word true in Hebrew 
Now, this is where the question is, because I don't know Greek. But um, the word true in Hebrew is emet. Yep. Now, what isn't commonly known is that in biblical Hebrew, the root of the word true is also the same root as the root of the word amen. Oh, mama. And, and amen literally means to confirm or support. And it's the root of the word emunah, which is the word for faith. And now we're climbing out of one of those great challenges. What truth and faith in Western civilization mean is very different from what they mean in biblical Hebrew. Truth, so truth is faith. Faith is truth. They're the exact same root. Yes, yes. So we tend to think of truth as we tend to go scientific or mathematical. Yep. Wooden literalism that I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's systematic theology. It's this is locked in. This is buttoned right. up. Got it. And, of course, what I'm trying to just point out here is that in terms of thinking about what's going on in Scripture, truth and faith are the same thing. So when you ask, with what eyes did they see the light? If this word true is the same in biblical Hebrew, it is based upon the biblical Hebrew word true, then you're seeing the light with the eyes of faith. <sighs> Yes. And that's a very different quality of seeing, um, which I want to suggest we have all done um, and, and experienced. Uh, just a real quick example of what I mean. Um, when I was 16, a number of people who knew me well told me I would be a teacher. Now, I must confess, that had no interest for me at 16, and I just didn't take it very seriously. You wanted to be a golfer, I, as I remember. I did. Yes. I did. And um, although that dream was soon to die. <laughs> in a um, way. Yes, in a way. Very true. Very true. Uh, you are so right. Um, and it wouldn't be until literally I was 34 that I would realize what they had told me at 16 was actually true. Now, were they seeing with the eyes of truth? Yes. Were they seeing with the eyes of faith? Yes. Did they recognize what I would call the contours of something that was utterly unrecognizable to me at the time, although completely recognizable to them? Yes, but you could do a million things. And I had done a number of things by the time I was 34. But, yep. but then I fell into teaching and and never fell out. Yeah. So there's a way of seeing that defies understanding. And also we've got to be willing to stand alone in it. Even in the face of the people we're seeing it in. Yes. Because people were seeing this in me and I just kind of, to be honest. Yeah. Laughed at them. Yeah. And then dismissed it. Yeah. I dismissed it. And then I woke up in my late 20s and I was fighting it tooth and nail. Interesting. And then finally, around 34, I just surrendered. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, is one of the keys when one finally does surrender. Is. And what does it mean to surrender to the light? 
Yes. Well, that's, of course, what we're thinking about, both in terms of Hanukkah and Christmas and what is this season that we're in? What does it mean to surrender and just be encompassed and held by the sacred light and then being willing to join into sacred intimacy within community? Yes. And together. Yeah. Yes. I love that. So let's go. Um, let's go to Revelation 21 if we can, because I think we would be remiss to not hit this beautiful uh, set of verses. Um, so even starting in verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. This is John's vision. Mm -hmm. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, which, of course, is a direct line back to Isaiah yeah. uh, 60. Yeah. but You can just see it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to ask you, say more about the connection and about how this... So this is the very end of the scriptures. And so if we're looking at it as an arc starting in Genesis 1, and I'm going to say not ending in Revelation 21, but like sort of leaving off and saying, okay, now you pick it up, people, you know, but, but within the scriptures, that's where the ark goes, the city of yeah. God. Right. And that's what we're thinking about. What does it mean to live in, well, I, I, there's so many ways you could think about this. What does it mean to live in the garden? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of heaven and earth? What does it mean to be in sacred intimacy and to be in the light? And we're not, and what Isaiah is trying to get at and John is trying to get at and Revelation is trying to get at is if you need sunlight to be in the light, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about this relational intimacy of being connected and being connected as sisters and brothers, being connected as wives and husbands, being connected in as families and communities in a sacred intimacy that transcends the need of a temple. In other words, we are the temple. Yes. We are with each other is the temple. And it's, it's, absurdly simple to say and excruciatingly difficult to live unless we let down the fig leaves. Yeah. So can we say that since the very beginning, God, the light of God has always been looking for a home and it's the tabernacle and it's the temple and now it's the human body and it's the human family and that's where god has chosen to dwell so here's the funny thing the light of god was looking for a home if i disagree with you i'll be wrong but if i agree with you i still won't quite be right okay go at what point was i a teacher ah uh, you were always a teacher and incidentally both my parents were teachers and my father of blessed memory loved to teach and my mother of blessed memory was acknowledged to be a great teacher by most of her students. Oh, so it didn't start with me. Right. God is the home. God is the home. The light of God has always been within us. 
And if I can only just stop fighting so hard. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much. Because like, there's even just, I love that. Thank you. There's, there's always a part of me that is working to try hard to earn it, to find it, to get it, to believe that it's outside of me and I need to harness it somehow through a series of, I don't know, good behaviors or amazing podcasts or books or <laughs> I mean, any of those things. Uh, versus, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, yeah, who knows? Um, but to believe that it is there and the work is to rest and believe that it's there, it's inside of me, it's always there. And that's Deuteronomy 30, um, yes. that it's and not it's across the sea. Been there. I mean, at, at what point did you become, forgive me for saying this, the beautiful person you are? I don't know. I think you were always made that way. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean to have that come forth? Well, that's where it gets a little bit trickier. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's where it's the familial. And I think we can define family in very large ways. You know, it's not always your your nuclear family, your physical family. Your, because maybe, I mean, listeners, I mean, a lot of listeners, they'd say, oh, man, you know, my mom, my dad, my sisters, my brothers, they don't see me. And, and this time of year, let's be honest, a lot of people, that, that gets highlighted. You go home. And oh my goodness, uh, it's just highlighted how no one knows you and no one sees you. But then maybe uh, you have an experience out at coffee with a dear, dear friend or on Skype on the morning of December 23rd, you, you, a, a, a young man, young, <laughs> a middle-aged man <laughs> in Maple Grove talks to a, a friend in, in Boston. And, and I'll be the old man for this conversation, uh, happily. <laughs> <laughs> and there is light and there is family and there is seeing. And, um, and so it's I, so good to see you. So oh man, see. man, 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 I miss you when I don't get to, well, I, I, I miss seeing your face. Yeah. Well, that's light. Uh, we could say so much more, but I'm looking well, at the recorder. Oh, you're, you want to say something else. Here we go. Thing. When you said what you just said, to me, the capacity to know that we're missing something or someone is part of the beauty and the vulnerability of sacred intimacy. Yeah. And we actually, although it's hard, we actually want that. I mean, I want the feeling of missing you. Yeah. Because then it's what we have is real. Yeah. If I didn't have that feeling, then what would it be? Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. That really makes sense. And there's something about that, that the light is hidden in the darkness, you know, that it's, it's always there that the, the love is hidden in the missing The you know, you just don't get one without the other. Amen. You know, and we have to climb. I think like, that's what I would say in some, in summation, my, my encouragement to myself mainly, but to all, uh, of we we us listeners is don't look don't look for God on the other side of darkness when you get out of darkness. God is right there in the darkness. God is there mm -hmm. in the light. God is light in the darkness. And so if you're struggling, if you're if you're feeling as though you're so far away, the light of God is within you. It's right there. The work is not to earn it to try to go it's again it's deuteronomy 30 look like it's not across the sea that we should sail to find it it's right there on the tip of our tongues it's in our hearts 
that's inside of us. And so I'm not making that up. That's not some heretical no. statement that's in the scriptures all throughout. And, and in Isaiah 58, if one can do not a physical fast, but a very different kind of fast in verses um, six through seven, then in verse eight, your light shall burst through like the dawn. But it's the light of day one. Yes. Oh, wait, the light of day one is within us. Um, it's just about fasting in a certain quality of way in verses six and seven. And we don't really have time to unpack it. But if we can stop thinking about fasting as being so much from food and and look at the fasting that Isaiah 58 verses six and seven sets forth, we'll suddenly see it's astonishingly there that yeah. our light will burst forth. And then much to our delight, joy, surprise, our light is actually the same exact light as the light of day one, except for within a much smaller vessel, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Thank you, my friend. Um, oh, my goodness. This was perhaps my favorite one, but that's just because it's the most recent. The next one will be my next favorite. <laughs> that's Absolutely. how it works. Well, this is something. Um, okay. Time for a quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So Melanie makes this. Uh, seven layer salad, which I love. Mm -hmm. I just love it. And every time she makes it, I say, this is the best seven layer salad You've ever I've made. ever had. Yes. And, and I actually now really, not only do I feel that true, but I feel it true in so many dimensions of my life. Yeah. This time with our children being 32 and 27 is actually the best time. But that's, that's what I would always hope that we keep growing and seeing, Oh, there's, it's more dimensional. There's more for us. There's, and, and they don't have spouses yet. We don't have grandchildren yet. And yet yeah. it's, so it can only be more. Yeah. 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 The light yeah. keeps shooting out and it doesn't yeah. stop. Yeah. All right, my friend. Um, wow. 72 minutes into this recording felt like five minutes. <laughs> like five minutes we had to cut out stuff um okay i um want to say what i say at the end of the podcast which is we are dust and breath we are limited and limitless we're human and holy and we're in it together thanks so much for listening you can follow me on facebook at steve weens author twitter at steve weens and instagram at steve weens and you can find all my work all my books the show notes all kinds of other fun stuff on my website steveweens.com and please consider supporting me on patreon lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons check it out at patreon.com slash this good word